Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here for another wealthy podcast with the great Peter Resho. <laughs> great. Big call. No, it's not a big call. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's your show too. Um, Pete, it, it feels like it's been forever. It's only been like a couple of weeks, but time is moving quickly at the tail end of this year. You may notice for the people that are watching that we have a new sign in the background. Something you can't see, but we can feel is we have fans in this office. It is a good day. Yeah, it's good. We've got ventilation. We've got our street signs starting to pop up in the streets of Sydney. And so um, it's been a good end to the year and a nice run into um, next year. We've got a lot going on. There's heaps and heaps happening. We've got lots of clients that are coming through. The team is up and firing. Uh, Jenny is doing an amazing job. Some of you have seen our TikTok. So if you're not following us on TikTok, maybe check it out. It's pretty funny and educational. Yeah, Jenny's going to start taking some photos of these podcasts too. So I've just given her my phone. Make us look good, Jenny, please. As hard as, hard as, as, hard it as is. that is, right? Now, Pete, I know that you came in. There's a few different things that you wanted to talk about on this show. We're, we're chatting about it earlier today. Um, some of it is that basically not all is good news in the year ahead. Yep. Um, before we get into that, do you want to reflect on some of the stuff that we've done and, that, and some of that happiness? Yeah, before we jump in, we're going to give you some awesome content today. And uh, it's going to be a little bit different to our tone and the things that we've been discussing through the year. But I'll ask everybody to hit pause. And if you're listening on, on Apple, uh, to go and give us a five-star rating if you think we've given you value this year. Mm. Because it means a lot to us. Write us a review in the way that Apple's algorithm works uh, on our podcasting channels is the more reviews and the more comments the more people we can reach so that means a lot to us um, and then come back and 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 dive into what we're about to say um, but yeah like Dom you and I sat down at the beginning of the year when the world was falling apart and we painted a very positive uh, picture and we articulated our points and we were correct we were vindicated and we've never gone out and said we told you so um, we were not that that kind of people uh, we were just content that the reasons we had were correct and now we're looking through to next year and it's good to balance the positives we're, we're generally very very positive but we're also not naive no um, and also acknowledge the challenges out there and how we're going to meet those challenges i think what it was that everybody was quick to say the negatives but no one was highlighting that it wasn't all negative and we wanted to just shed light on the full picture. And now that things are starting to turn, you're seeing all the major bank economists saying, hey, 7, 10, 12, 15% positive price growth. A lot of the spruikers out there are talking about positive price growth. There's a lot of positive sentiment in the market. We're officially out of a recession. We want to highlight that it isn't all positive. There are some risks and you've got to go into the next 2021 with your eyes wide open and just be aware of what, where the risks and where the opportunities are. Yeah, the worst thing to do, and we'll talk about this today, how we fundamentally believe that we're in the foothills of the next boom. The worst thing to do is to get too excited and buy the wrong thing. Yeah. I've made that mistake in the past where um, you get caught in the euphoria and you dish the research out and you, you, you get tempted by the things that you shouldn't be tempted by. So, you know, working along the numbers and this year was a great year to invest. Next year is going to be a very good year, but this year was even better. Mm. So when you're going out next year, you need to be working with a team and working on investments where 
you're not just looking at the rosy picture, but you also understand the challenges and the thing you buy, the investment you make, you can factor in all the challenges and still very, very robust. It's a very good point where people, the biggest risk of the next 12 to 24 months is people getting caught up in the hype. Um, the quote that you will hear is a rising tide lifts all ships. This is true. However, ships that have holes in them won't rise. So you got to make sure that with all the euphoria, with the next um, movement in the market, we will see positive price growth. I believe that this is true, but it's not going to be felt equally and everywhere. Mm. In, in People often say the Australian market or the Sydney market or the Melbourne market, these markets are made up of many suburbs and even with sub, within suburbs, you've got different types of real estate will perform better or worse, apartments, townhouses and houses. So you're just going to be cognizant of that when you do make your next um, move. Be very, very careful. Um, and again, don't fall for the hype. Do your research and make sure that what you are buying is sound. Yeah, and it isn't fair. The market isn't fair. The market discriminates. And we saw that this year. This year was a, a time when a lot of people had a very tough time this year. And we don't dismiss that. People lost their jobs. Families were ruined. It was very challenging. At the same time, it was the best year for a lot of people. They made a lot of money. They invested really, really well. So because it isn't fair and because it's challenging, we want to make sure that we're giving you the information to make it easier for you. Yeah. Um, something that I want to highlight is there are, there, there are opportunities in this market. Not all of them equal. I think we already said on the previous podcast, we're already starting to see that Melbourne's starting to move. Mm. Um, we are starting to see that, you know, house and land opportunities are moving up in price already. Some of the clients that we've worked with, we've seen that the land values have moved as much as $40,000, which is nearly 10%. Um, and what we're also seeing and what we're also experiencing is a number of potential clients are talking to us and are talking about areas that are primarily investment markets that will be flooded with supply. And it's because their friends have said that this is a good market. They're following their friends. People are getting sucked into the crap again. They're getting sucked into the crap. And we want to make sure that you stay away from it. So <laughs> you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see, you're going to see some content coming out in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Jenny's just cutting it all up where we're going to, we'll show you where we compare some of the crap, yep. we show you some of the irrational pricing. Um, and what you can do is use that as an anecdote or as a story to inform your decisions in other markets as well. Just because two or three of your mates are saying that this is a good market, maybe use that as a red herring to say, is it? Hmm. Second guess it, triple guess it. Just because three or four people are moving doesn't mean it's the right decision. It just means you're moving in a herd now. And that's when you should start to be fearful. Yeah, bring it into our team, you know, text it to us and we'll do an analysis and we'll compare it. And if it's great, we'll tell you this is this is great. Um, but one of the things that we've done really well this year is built a really, really good, robust investment process. Mm. And I fundamentally believe that all the investments, not just because they're ours, but all the investments that we've spent a really hard time, all the data, predictive analytics, uh, stand up on their own two feet. 
Um, but I think today we're talking about a few different things, right? And the challenges in the market and, and some of the big challenges coming in 2021. What's one of the biggest challenges you're seeing, Pete? So one of the things I'm thinking about um, as we pat ourselves on the back and say it was a great year, we called the market right and we look forward next year. One of the big things that I'm thinking about, Dom, and you and I speak about it often is the impact of China's relationship with Australia mm. and how that impacts investments and what that means for us as an investment destination and as a country going forward. And I think next year is going to be a year where this China conversation starts to become more and more prominent. And I think it's important for us today to explore it and understand it so that we're prepared. We were, Australia was lucky for a long time where we skirted the boundaries between two global powers. You know, we're friendly with China. We have good trade agreements. We're, we're getting things were going on very well friendly with America, good trade agreements, things are going very well. We often forget that these are two big economic powers that aren't best friends. They are, in fact, kind of at loggerheads. They do fight on a number of issues. Um, Charlotte comes up often in these podcasts and she said to me, Dom, I'm kind of scared that, you know, are we going into a war? And I said that we're kind of already in one. Mm. It's just not the war that we think that or a war that we're familiar with we're not fighting with guns bullets hands and fists it's being done with treaties it's being done with social media it's being done with tariffs it's you know cyber security it's a different type of warfare political intrigue than we have it's being done by proxy now yeah geopolitics is an interesting area because these things are broader they take longer and they're really intriguing i actually find geopolitics like a real interest point and, you know, when I look at Australia's, as you said, Australia's relationship with China has been relatively rosy um, since China opened up, you know, in the 90s and started industrializing and we're on the doorstep and we've been, we've had all the right commodities and we've been an excellent place for, for Chinese investment to come into and we've benefited from that. But I think what really stood out to me right before COVID, there was a lot of unrest in Hong Kong. Mm. Um, and you know it's 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 hard to remember now but if you know if you rewind back about 12 months we saw protests and that brought Hong Kong to a standstill and the reason for that was because of laws that the Chinese government was imposing um, around extradition and it was just one of those uncomfortable situations where it was at a boiling point there was um, accusations made by you know China that the West was really, interfering in um, their political space yep. in their political space on their doorstep and then COVID came and those things almost overnight uh, disappeared and then what happened this year is this blame game between the West and China and uh, we can talk a little bit more about you know what that all means and, and where that's all going but the situation with China has been evolving and got worse this year, but it had been evolving for some time. It didn't just happen overnight. Yeah, it, it was uh, it, it was almost a straw that broke the camel's back. The Trump presidency, the, 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 the trade war in the, the US and China, Australia's relationship with these two global powers, where do we sit? And then also, I feel like for a long time, you know, America was that Western power that 
held the moral high ground on so many issues and would point at dictatorships around the world and say, oh, your country's wrong or not right for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm not taking a stance on any of this, no, by the way. It's just, and by playing the moral high card, they would, you know, try and sway or influence. Now, I think a lot of these nations are learning that social media is a powerful tactic. It's a powerful tool that they can use as well. And, you know, these Western speaking nations, these democratically elected governments aren't always right either. They have, they do morally, some things that aren't morally sound. And it's funny when, you know, there's dictatorships and I point the finger back at China, at Australia or at, at um, you know, America and saying, well, you haven't done everything right either. Yeah, that's right. We saw that manifest particularly over the past, you know, four to six weeks. When I when I think of China, I go back to the the um, the late 1800s, and you know, I was reading a book uh, once uh, by Alan Greenspan, um, who was the former uh, Federal Reserve of America chairman, and I was reading about China because I didn't really understand how Hong Kong came about. Like, mm. how did it become a British colony? And if you go back and have a look, it's fascinating because. Basically, what the British were doing is they were exporting heroin yeah. from India into China. And the Chinese were getting addicted to it. And it became such a big social issue where they actually turned around to the British. And the British had colonized the whole world. And we'll leave that story for another day. But the Chinese basically came and said, hey, you know, we can't tolerate this because we've got a huge social issue. And this is because you're exporting this drug onto our doorstep. And there was a trade war. Uh, there was an actual war. You know, the British send their, sent their ships because the Chinese blocked the heroin and they started bombing mainland China and, and Hong Kong was a compromise. It was a compromise um, by the Chinese and the British. You know, the British said, give us Hong Kong um, and we'll stop bombing. We'll go away. We'll go away. And so this has been happening for a while, right? Yep. It hasn't just open, ha happened overnight. And the way that the East, Eastern countries deal and view the world as very different to Western countries. We have a political system where you have a prime minister in Australia every three years, you have a president in the US every four years, you've got a shorter political cycle, you've yep. got a shorter policy cycle. Whereas in the East, you know, if you have a look at um, China and Russia and, and these countries, they think longer term. It's a much longer political cycle, 10 years. Exactly. They have more patience. They, China's an, a, a proud, ancient culture. Um, they have some big social challenges. And, and their foreign policy, as you said earlier, has not been like the US foreign policy where they've gone out and invaded countries. And they've played very strategic foreign policy and they've invested and, and expanded their influence. And the Silk Road Initiative. You know, sorry to interrupt no you, worries. but I think, I think that part of what you're saying is very interesting because they played a very different game. They've done it through trade, they've done it through commerce, they've done it through investment. Yep. You know, giving, um, again, I don't know if this is, it's not the right or the wrong way to do it, but you've got to commend the strategy where I don't know if a lot of you have heard about the Silk Road, and, and I'm sure you have, where the government was effectively building infrastructure in different countries that didn't have a lot of money, but then kind of giving them loans that they couldn't pay back. Exactly. And then taking pieces of uh, you know, government land or taking those infrastructure pieces back and now effectively taking ownership of the infrastructure that they put in place. 
Yeah, so China's playing a very long-term strategic game. The West antagonized China, whether that was right or wrong, whatever, that's up to your own political view. But the reason we're talking about it is I don't think things between the West and China, between Australia and China, are going to magically improve overnight. Yep. They're probably going to get worse. And as an investor, we need to be aware of it and understand what that could mean and invest around that rather than just ignoring it. Yeah, what are the longer implications? I mean, some of the the, the obvious ones, a lot of the 2014, 15, 16, 17 boom, there was a, an investor, there was a lot of investors in the market, there was a lot of foreign investment, there was a lot of Chinese investors, not as much as people think that's right nowhere near as much as people think because primarily that investment was coming on brand new assets it was very difficult to go and invest from overseas into here but having two or three extra people in a display suite has an impact it creates demand even just the conversations in the living room it makes a sense of urgency the fear of missing out has an impact now we probably can't rely upon that same level of urgency to come from the Chinese market, but maybe it will come down the road, not in the short term, from migration or other nations. Um, what does it mean from foreign resource, from a resources point of view? A lot of these uh, property economists, property commentators will tell you about buying regional cities, regional towns, outside of CBDs because of price or affordability, and they'll point to specific resources or new mines or gold or whatever that will prop up that little township. I would be dubious about these places now. I probably be a little bit fearful about buying in anywhere where there's iron ore or coal or Yeah, so far I think I think what we've seen so far, um, the way that the Chinese are are sort of fighting this trade battle is that they're playing a psychological long term, you know, every week they're announcing one type of ban. Yeah. And so it's not a blanket ban, it's not extreme, but it's just drip feed. We'll tighten the belt drip every feed, time. Drip feed. One day it's it's wine, one day it's lamb, one day it's beef, one day it's coal. And it'll probably continue, right? They're going to antagonise. When I think about it, I think what are the obvious vulnerabilities? We've been deprived of Chinese students in Sydney and in Melbourne for most of this year because of COVID. But will they come back? You know, will we see a different type of international student in our cities? And what does that mean to the type of real estate or to uh, the type of developments? Um, you know, we know, for example, that international investors from Asia have a particular preference for the type of home they like. High rise is fine. High rise is fine. They don't care about the beach, right? No, they, they love high rise. They love inner city. They love urban environments. They love density. They love intensity. It's a different style. If you start getting more Indians, for example, or people from the subcontinent, they have a different cultural preference. They love land. Yep. Uh, they really, they would prefer a block of land over a high rise luxury amenity uh, that you'd get from a Chinese investor, for example. And so these things are all going to play into the next property cycle, the type of stock we see, the players in the market, um, and, and the areas that we want to avoid, as you said, if there are vulnerabilities to trade industries mm -hmm. that get hit, um, and also export industries like tourism um, and all that stuff. Yeah, retail trade. How, do, how does this all get impacted? 
So there are vulnerabilities in 2021, maybe into 2022. We have to be aware of them and then think what are the longer implications of these moves because we can't rely upon what happened yesterday, the day before, or two or three years ago. It's a different environment that we're walking into and we're just got to go in eyes wide open. There's another element, Tom, that I've been thinking about and how does this all impact the prices of things. Mm. So, for example, we've benefited because China has been this massive factory producing cheap goods for the developed world for a very long time. Go buy a TV, 2000 bucks, and you know in a year it's probably going to worth, be worth 500 bucks. And so there's been a lot of cheap goods coming into the market. But as trade changes, um, if that lounge that you bought for 499 last year is now 899 because it's harder to source it from china and trade routes are disrupted and everything else that's that's creating inflationary pressure yep and so in the furniture store maybe the guy that's working is not getting more money so there isn't labor inflation because there's still unemployment in the market but there could be inflation in goods and inflation in goods filters through inflation in fuel inflation in raw materials we're already seeing the iron ore price which is Australia's biggest export, iron ore is used in steel, go up. It's at record highs. I think in 2021, we're going to see the price of things starting to rise. Yep. And I think what you could see is a lot of the cheap money that's come into the market, you could see some governments starting to get scared that maybe we've pumped too much in and inflation is starting to rise. And the best asset to be owning when inflation returns is... Property. Exactly. It's This is an exciting topic for me because we haven't really experienced inflation. No. Not really. You know, we've been in an environment where we've been talking about deflation. We've been trying to push the upper limits, get it up to 1% to 3%. Um, we are in a an environment where people in our office have experienced inflation. Yep. It's it's a it's a memory for them. They remember when the dollar, when their peso was worth a dollar. Yeah. Oh, and then when it went to ten dollars, and then it went to a hundred dollars, and it was the impacts of 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 these far, uh, policies, and then what it means for you. It's going to change. Hundred percent. And you know, one thing I learned is deflation so interest rates coming down happens over a long period of time it's painful it's gradual but inflation happens quick yep. things move really really quickly do you remember bitcoin nobody had heard about it and then all of a sudden it went from 500 to 20,000 and everyone was like this thing you know every every relative of mine mm. and mate of mine was like oh should i buy bitcoin at 20,000 i'm like no nah, dude it's you've Keep missed away. the boat so these exponential increases in prices happen quick. They don't happen slowly. And I think if it comes, and I, and, I, and I think about this, you know, I want to make sure that I'm invested. So if the value of currency falls, and I watch the Aussie dollar, for example, it keeps going up against the US dollar. I think, I think there's something happening. And I want to be invested. I want to own real things. I want to own real estate. I want to own gold. I want to own tangible things because cash is the worst place to be when that happens. I I like, I think that there are bigger, longer term things. Like for instance, the whole made in China, maybe a distant, uh, a, a, a changing uh, 
a description. You know, America's starting to talk. They want some things to be made in America. Mm. Australia, we're trying to say, you know, made in Australia. There, there is a already. There's a, a global zeitgeist or a movement where people are stepping away from fast-moving consumer goods, shit that just is crap and, and fast fashion, all this kind of stuff. It feels like it's moving away and going towards quality. Yeah, you know, people are appreciating a finely made something or other, finely made clothing. I'd rather one nice jacket that costs a thousand dollars than you know seven shitty jackets. And I feel like this is a trend that is impacting not just clothing, it's impacting maybe cars and it's impacting Mercedes and BMW had some of the highest sales ever during COVID. It's also impacting, I feel, property. Yeah, It's a reason why we've been stepping away or stepping into better quality assets. Yeah, You know, I always often tell this story that when I lived in New York, you could have two buildings side by side one apartment in the building could be worth half the amount as the apartment just next door. And it's because this building was developed by a certain designer, a certain architect. It becomes a collector's piece as well as an investment or an income producing asset. Yeah. And you and I have been talking about getting into better quality real estate and you've just got to say, well, where can I get it from? What's it going to cost? And then where do I need to go to go and get it as well? Yeah, the difference between good and great mm. is huge. And a lot of people will buy something they perceive to be good. Our standard is to find great. We want everything. And we're lucky because today we're able to. But there will come a time in the cycle where we're going to get really, really, really selective. And we're going to be razor. The opportunities are going to dwindle. And and when that happens, prices, prices of things go a lot higher. Very quickly. Uh, there are only there are only so many developers, builders, people that develop a type of product. Did you hear what happened to um, used car prices in the past six months? They're going up. Yeah, because apparently that it's it's been so hard to get a new car, so people are spending more on used cars because a new car <laughs> backlog. Imagine that, like you, the the price of a used car actually went up. Charlotte's. Mazda 3 has <laughs> gone up in value. She's make, she makes money of everything. It yeah. cracks me up. Oh, there you go. Um, she's a smart investor. Yeah. So I think, you know, these are the things that we're thinking about. Um, we've been really positive this year. We've been, and we still are extremely positive, yet we want to be robust and we want to be aware of the vulnerabilities. And next year is about knowing where to steer clear from and be razor focused on the really good stuff. I think just just to add to your point, what you're saying, people overcomplicate property. We always often say the more moving parts there are, the more opportunities there are for it to fall apart or break. To do property well, it's as simple as not fucking it up. Yeah, just don't. I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, just don't don't make the silly mistakes. So look. Next year, I am optimistic in spite of the the doom and gloom and the things that we've just described. There's a lot of risk. I'm really optimistic about next year. Uh, I I think my prediction is we're going to see a a slower start to the year. Like not a slower start. We're going to see some positive price growth. It's going to be led by first home buyers, owner occupiers. I think that the different government stimulus will then feed in. There's going to be more and more people coming into the market. 
soon as the owner occupiers, the people that are owning assets, see some price growth, that's then going to make them think maybe we should go buy an investment property. The fear of missing out will start to kick into the market. People are going to start missing out on auctions. Happening now. It's happening now. Uh, and then we're going to see some really good positive price growth. Investors will start stepping into the market. Once the investors are now competing with owner-occupiers, uh, we're going to see some really good price growth. I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of next year we see 10 to 15% price growth in some of the markets that we've chosen. Yeah, this Christmas everybody's going to be talking at the Christmas barbecues about how property prices are going up and how a uh, house down the road or an apartment in the block sold for, can you believe? Blah, can blah, you believe blah. it? And I'm exactly like you. I'm really positive. Um, I've, I've got my shopping list for the type of investment that I want to make next year. And I'm striking off the things that are not of quality. Mm -hmm. And I'm going from a criteria that's like that to a criteria that's like that. Because I don't want to buy something that's not going to do well. I'm going to buy something that's absolutely going to smash it out of the park. And that's the standard that we set for all our clients. Razor focused, razor, razor focused. Get clear on your criteria, get clear on your budget, get clear on what you can afford, where you want to go. Um, let's build that shopping list, have it narrowed down. And then once it's there, be aggressive and just take it. We had a meeting just before this where you know the client was sitting, it's our third meeting. We're talking about what they want and we're getting ready for next year because you want to be one of the first people mm. to strike when it's ready. Yeah. You want to be one of the first movers because the best stuff goes first. Yeah. And it's the educated investor. It's the one that's very clear. They know how much they can afford and they know exactly what they're after because when it comes up, they'll strike. They're prepared. And the ones that usually get the worst deal are the ones that resist, can't be bothered. I'm an R. I'll do it next year. It's not important. Oh, wait. They end up buying right at the top of the cycle and that's the worst time to be buying. That's a wrap. Anything else you want to cover? No, I just want to thank you. Um, thank you and the team. And I think we've done a really good job. And I want to thank our listeners and our clients. And we've had a record number of people that have used Wealthy's platform this year. Um, and so in the spirit of giving and the spirit of celebration, I just want to say Merry Christmas, man. Yeah, thank you. Merry Christmas. I'm so, so grateful for all of you listeners, people that are watching, people that are sharing. I've got to say I'm really grateful and I, I appreciate every single one of you that are leaving Google reviews, the clients of ours that have been working with us and trusted us early days when it was two bozos. <laughs> now it's eight of us. Um, there's many more people that believe in what we're doing and, and, and uh, more than that believing it, they're pushing it. There's, um, you know, Sam, I can't wait for you to jump on camera. There's Tiffy, the, the whole gang, Louie, you know, Jenny's got to just spend more time on the camera as well. Like everyone has their unique flavor, their own skill sets, and I can't wait to see them push it to the forefront and for you to meet and, and meet them all. So 